0: Uh, So, my name is James Trevilian, and I'm one of the pastors here at OBC, and I have the privilege of kicking off our next sermon series. Uh, We are going to be going through the book of Titus in a series that we have called Zealous for Good Works. Uh, That is, uh, that's a phrase that's found in the King James translation of Titus in chapter two, uh, where it talks about bringing up a people who are zealous for, for good works. Um, We're going to embark on this journey in the book of Titus, and, and this, along with our Thrive groups kicking off in the book of James, all ties together into an emphasis that we've had as a church for this year that is called A Heart for the Community. We want to be known at OBC as a church that loves its neighbors. We wanna be known as a church as a light to the darkness, the spiritual darkness that is present in the village of Osterville, the town of Barnstable, and beyond that as well. Now, we've had two teams, uh, we call them win teams, and just in case you forgot what that means, win stands for what's important now. Uh, we've had two win teams, Working through the year uh, trying to kind of engage in two topics Uh, Back in in November of last year we uh, sat down as as elders and pastors and church leaders To think about what we should focus on in the next year or what's important now? And uh, there were two teams that were formed out of that one uh, had to do with community engagement What are ways that that as members of OBC and attenders of OBC that we can engage with the community around us? And uh, the second team, and I've had the privilege of working with the second team, we actually met this morning in between services, uh, is our discipleship win team. And uh, as a discipleship win team, we've been exploring discipleship strategies at at OBC. Uh, What are people doing for discipleship? What have they done for discipleship? Uh, do people understand what discipleship is, and, and how does it happen? And uh, we sent out a survey uh, a couple, probably about a couple months ago, uh, kind of talking about this subject of, of discipleship. And through that, we identified some people that, that say, "Yeah, I'm a discipler. Uh, I'm in a relationship with someone, and I am discipling them." And um, you know, it's uh, it's been interesting to, to connect with those people and hear. Uh, hear what you, as as the members and attenders of OBC, are are doing to engage in in discipleship. Now, I had the privilege of meeting with uh, one of the guys who who identified himself as a discipler. You probably know him, uh, uh, one of our valued members here at OBC. Uh, His name is Ben Nicholas. Um, If you know that guy, he lives and breathes discipleship and evangelism um it just it just you, you start talking about it and his face lifts up and he perks and uh, it's such a joy to talk with ben about those things uh, so i had the privilege of taking him out for coffee a couple weeks ago by the way great awakenings in hyannis pretty good you got to go check that out um, but uh, but we sat down and, and we started talking about some of these things evangelism discipleship Uh, He shared with me some of the work that he's doing in Boston at Mass and Cass, Uh, just incredible things that that the Lord is doing there in the midst of what looks like a mess on the surface. And, uh, you know, he's talked about some of these amazing people that he's connected to OBC. But in that conversation, there was something that he said that really stood out to me. Uh, You know, sometimes we lose sight of, of what really matters when it comes to our evangelism and our discipleship. And uh, as I was asking him, what do you think are, are tools that we can use for discipleship? Uh, ben said that we had what we needed already, that, that we, we were so well-equipped to, from the start that everything else we added was just extra. This is what he said. People with knowledge of the word are invaluable to those who don't know. Have you ever thought about that before? Our greatest tool for community engagement and discipleship is the word. It's that simple. But how often do we take that for granted? We say it all the time here at OBC that OBC is a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching church. But do you know how precious that is? That is invaluable. Now, you've probably heard our brother Paul Chesbro talk about the times in, in OBC's history when it almost went the other way. they almost went down the wrong path towards things that were not centered on the word. But I believe we must build our church home upon the rock, not upon the sand. It's really easy for us to stray down that big, wide path, uh, but Jesus told us that we we should follow that narrow path. Now if you've been around OBC or if you're new here, maybe even a like-minded church for any length of time. You have knowledge of the word that is invaluable to those who live in darkness. Even if what you've done is just sit and listen to sermons and respond to them or or been a part of small groups and studied the word, you have something invaluable. You have a knowledge of the word uh, that just is is precious to those who've lived in darkness. You've applied the word to situations in your life and seen those around you do the same. You've been through good times and bad times with the Lord at your side. This is the case whether you've been a Christian for five years or 55 years. You have something that the people outside the walls of the church need and are desperate for, whether they see it or not. You, as someone who understands the word, are one of our most important assets for outreach and discipleship here at OBC. So we're gonna dive into this book of Titus and the book of Titus in the first four verses shares this sentiment of the importance of the word. This this can be summed up. If you take Titus one, one through four and sum it up, you could do it this way. Preaching is the primary way God creates a people who are zealous for good works. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't always think about preaching in that light. And when we think about preaching, honestly, I I wouldn't say that I'm much of a student of preaching. Uh, I've always been kind of the second chair pastor, not not the one who comes up in the front every week and, and teaches every week. And uh, so I, I wouldn't even say that it's something that I'm a, I'm some well-versed master student of, you know. Um, and uh, when we think about uh, the book of Titus, it's not normally the first thing that comes to my mind when we think about loving the community or the mission of the church and you know, honestly, come to think of it, I probably don't think about the book of Titus a whole lot, honestly. And, uh, you know, we start talking about qualifications for elders maybe, and we go, oh yeah, Titus has something about that. Uh, it's easy to, to fly through or fly over just, you know, if you look at the book of Titus, that's, that's it. That's all that's there, just, just three short chapters. And uh, if we fly past it, uh, I've learned in studying that, uh, that we do so to our own detriment. There, there's a lot in Titus that is so important to us. Now, the theme of good works is found sprinkled throughout the book of Titus, which is why this series is called Zealous for Good Works. Uh, In his summary of Titus, uh, Ray Van Nest said this, the theme of Titus is the inseparable link between faith and practice, between belief and behavior. Now, these things, faith and works or practice, can seem to be at odds with each other. But let me be clear as we begin... And in this, in this dichotomy between faith and works, we know that salvation itself is not based in our works. There is no amount of good that we can do to offset our sin. That's why Jesus did what he did. That's why he became a man. That's why he lived a perfect life. That's why he died on the cross for our sins and rose again on the third day. He did what we could not do for ourselves. I mean, we we had a whole thing in the church, the Capital C Church, about that. We called it the Reformation. And uh, as the Protestant church, we we feel we resolve that argument. It's not about our works. It's about faith in Christ. It's about that grace alone. But when we do not make a connection between having faith as a Christian and living out that faith in obedience to Christ, then we become guilty of making converts rather than making disciples. People who make a profession of faith with their lips, but then don't demonstrate that new life. Someone who says, oh, I trust Jesus, but then when you look at their life, you really can't tell. They live their life in a way that that Jesus has little to no impact on it. Our good works ought to be a light that draw others to Christ, ultimately, ultimately. So we're gonna explore this theme of good works in depth as we walk through the book of Titus, but Titus sets the stage and foundation for those good works in a very clear way. It makes a clear statement on what ought to motivate us to good works. Preaching. Preaching is the primary way that God creates a people who are zealous for good works. So we're gonna dive into Titus chapter one, verse one through four, and we're gonna take a look at this together. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. So this book we're studying is called Titus, right? And it opens up and we see that Paul, the Apostle Paul, is our author and and is the author of a letter that was written to Titus, right? Pretty straightforward, No, no trick question there. It was written to Titus. So now who is Titus? Titus is a young Gentile believer that Paul converted to the Christian faith, and he indicates here in this introduction uh, that Titus is his true child in the common faith, and uh, it's likely that Titus accompanied Paul on on some of his missionary journeys, that after becoming a believer that uh, Paul saw something in Titus and said, you should come along for the ride and began to mentor him and disciple him. Now, Titus was instrumental in communicating with the church in Corinth on multiple occasions. Last week, we studied a passage out of 2 Corinthians, and it had to do with the church in Corinth, uh, saying that they were going to make a, 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 generous, a generous gift to the believers in Jerusalem. And uh, Paul was a little concerned that uh, they might have been getting out ahead of themselves and not thinking about uh, what that meant. And so Paul sent the letter of Second Corinthians with Titus to accompany it as his emissary. And, uh, and so Titus, uh, on a couple of occasions, was, was a back and forth between Paul and the church in Corinth. And so we see that, that Titus was beginning his ministry and in, in doing these things on Paul's behalf. Now, after visiting the island of Crete, Paul saw the birth of several churches there. And I should say, it's kind of fun. uh, our, uh, Our group from the church that's with Pastor Harry touring Turkey and Greece... Uh, you know, Rob texted me yesterday and said, hey, I think it's kind of cool that you're preaching on Titus chapter one tomorrow. And here I am on Crete sending you a text message and, and enjoying this right now. And I said that that must be nice. No, um, <laughs> <laughs> no but they are. They're actually seeing it for themselves in Crete um, as we're here talking about Crete. I just thought that was kind of fun. But Crete uh, was a prime space for false teachers to invade and lead baby Christians astray. Uh, if you were to talk about Crete in ancient times, it would be kind of like this. What happens in Crete stays in Crete. Indeed, those false teachers came in and tried to lead people astray um, because Crete had a reputation for immorality. Paul actually immortalized this reputation in Titus chapter 1, verse 12 through the first part of 13, where it says this, One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Ouch. That's quite a way to be remembered, right? (laughs) And not only was it Paul, but other ancient historians said the same thing about people from Crete and from the island of Crete, that what happened in Crete stayed in Crete. So Paul, after establishing churches in the island, uh, left Titus, to help bring order and and to bring uh, kind of structure to those churches. He was given a command to appoint elders and to to begin to see those churches led well um, because ungodly behavior would have had an easy foothold there. Imagine coming out of that background and then being expected to live a Christian life with no leadership, no instruction, no encouragement in doing things the right way. And so Titus had a very important job in these churches. So you'll see that the book of Titus addresses the topic of good works and does it quite a bit. Now, the good works that he speaks of throughout the book of Titus have a root in something that defines Christianity. It's been a part of our gathering since the very beginning, and and it's the act of preaching Um, preaching when we talk about it is what what I'm doing right now. What you're listening to is is the the church body gathering together and listening to one of its leaders share the word of God. And uh, it's it's something that defines us as Christians. It's very rare that you go to a a church gathering and that someone doesn't get get up and share a message from from the word. Uh, Even in small groups or in house churches, someone is going to share a message from the word. It defines who we are. And uh, it's central to our worship service. You know, have you ever thought about that? When we gather for a worship service on Sunday morning, almost half, if not over half of that time, I guess depending on who's preaching, uh, half of that time is spent in God's word. And we consider that a part of our worship service. Now, when I say worship, you probably think primarily of music. Uh, and that is a key, integral, central part of our worship services, music and singing. We also talk about the importance of giving as an aspect of our worship, prayer is as an aspect of our worship, all of those pieces. But the bulk of our time is spent doing what we're doing right now. And, uh, and that defines who we are as Christians. John Broadus, a man many see as father of modern preaching, said this, Preaching is characteristic of Christianity. No other religion has made the regular and frequent assembling of groups of people to hear religious instruction and exhortation, an integral part of divine worship. It's an interesting connection, isn't it? When we speak of worship, we usually think of music and singing, but the preaching time is every bit as important. It's vital to who we are. So as we go through these first four verses in Titus, we're going to learn a couple things about preaching. First, we see the origin of preaching, and that is God's revelation and his command. Now, uh, as as Rob and I go through this series, uh, we're going to be greatly informed by the work of a guy named Todd Wilson, who wrote a book titled Zealous for Good Works, talking about Titus. And uh, he identifies three key things about preaching, starting with its origin— And that is in the revelation of God and in the command of God. Now the revelation of God flows out of his word. Paul says it right there in the first three verses of of this passage. Our knowledge of the truth is manifested in God's word. And how does Paul say that we come to know that word? Through the preaching with which he was entrusted. This uh, sentiment is echoed again in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, where Paul says this, How then will they call on him, Jesus, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Preaching is the primary vehicle through which we are introduced to the word. And where did Paul get this idea to do this thing called preaching? Well, God commanded him to do it. Think about it. Preaching is is not something that that comes naturally to us. It's not something that you you see a whole lot of uh, outside of the church. Sure, there are things that that kind of resemble it, but really, preaching is is unique to Christianity. And i got to tell you, pastors find joy in in preaching from the pulpit because they're obeying God's command and, and sharing truth from his word, even though this act of doing it can, can often be a burden. When you talk to pastors who every week are responsible for preparing a message and getting up and delivering it and then coming back and then preparing a message and delivering it and then coming back, um, the word burden does come up in that because uh, it can be a demanding task to craft a message well and to prepare and to study and to look at historical context. Uh, I heard one pastor say that, that getting up and delivering a sermon was the equivalent of doing eight hours of work in, in one shot, uh, you know, and not, not saying that to, to throw a pity party for me and Rob or anything like that, but uh, it's not, preaching is not something that, that would come to us naturally. It's not something that we would just say, hey, you know what we ought to do? We ought to get everyone together in a room every week and, and just take the Bible and just speak out of that every week. Boy, what do you think about that? It's it's not a natural thing to us. And people aren't exactly beating down the door to do it either. It's not not natural to us. And the world is often hostile toward the idea of preaching. Now, remember, after preaching in Lystra, the folks there threw rocks at Paul to the point where they thought he was dead because of his preaching. Sign me up. Woo, right? It's exciting. Why else would Paul get up in front of people who were angry at him and hostile toward him to do what he was doing, to preach. Well, Paul says to Titus that he preached at the command of God and as a servant of God. Preachers preach because God said to do it and we serve him. That's what it boils down to. The idea, the origin of it comes from God, from his revelation and from his command. So we see we ought to preach, but then what is the content of that preaching? What makes our preaching uniquely Christian? Well, our preaching ought to have two primary features. It should be biblical, and it should be expository. Now, I say biblical, and you're probably thinking, well, duh, I don't want to be biblical, right? But that doesn't always come as an oh-duh for a lot of people. Um, I think the biblical part is fairly straightforward. We preach the word of God as it is revealed to us in his written word, the Bible. Paul said it right there in verse 3. It's the truth as what? Manifested in God's word. We know the Bible to be God's written word to us. And honestly, why would we base our message in anything short of what God has said to us? There's nothing I can say that is better than this. Now, expository is a term that that sometimes gets misunderstood. Expository preaching simply means, in the words of Todd Wilson, that the preacher must seek to make the message of the text the message of the sermon. The preaching ought to reflect what the Bible says. Now, I've seen it done and may even have been guilty of this in my early years in ministry where where a preacher begins with a thought or an idea and then begins to pick scripture to support whatever their thought or idea is and then builds a sermon out of that. That's the opposite of expository. That is not expository. And when I say the term expository, I know sometimes an approach comes to mind. And that approach is moving through a book of the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, right? And doing that can be expository, but it is not a guarantee that that preaching is expository. Uh, I've been in the audience when a well-intentioned preacher is doing chapter by chapter, verse by verse, comes upon the verse of the day and picks a word out of that verse and then springboards off into whatever they saw in the news that made them mad or that they thought they should talk about. And, uh, you know, that also is not expository. So that exposition can, you know, when you take a, a topic, it can be handled in a way that is expository as long as we let the word speak for itself. It all is rooted in that word, and that's what matters. When we preach the word of God and the content is the word of God, it will inevitably lead us to preach about the son of god jesus christ why well because it's all about him this entire text is is the story of redemption the story of what christ did for us woven throughout the entire thing i mean think about genesis chapter 3 verse 15 if you go all the way back to the beginning we see that in in humanity's darkest moment when adam and eve had sinned and rebelled against god that uh, from that moment, God had a plan to, to save us from ourselves and from the sin that we, we just got ensnared in. Uh, Genesis 3.15 talked about the fact that God promised redemption through the offspring of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent, Satan. So from the very, very beginning of the Bible, we see that thread of redemption woven throughout in the Torah, the law of God, the history of Israel, the prophets, the wisdom books, the gospels, the epistles and letters and revelation. Through all of that, it all centers on Christ. Now, I love Paul's presentation of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Have you noticed how Paul delivered that gospel to his listeners? Let's read that together in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting at verse one. Paul says this, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, polite way of saying that they had died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So how did Paul deliver that gospel message to those who heard? He preached it to them. He preached Christ and his gospel. So we see the origin of preaching in God's word and command. We see the content of preaching in God's word and in his son. And finally, we see the purpose of preaching. In verse 1, Paul indicates his purpose to Titus. It's right there. For the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth. Preaching is designed to bring about faith in God through the knowledge of his word. So think about that knowledge of his word. Uh, Paul echoes this sentiment in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, and we were in Romans 10 earlier. Paul said this, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So faith comes from hearing, but from hearing what? From hearing God's word. And how do we hear God's word? Well, as Paul said in Romans chapter 10, verse 14, we hear it through a preacher. Now, why is knowledge of God's word so important? Well, without knowledge of the word, there is no spiritual transformation. As Kent Hughes said, we cannot be profoundly impacted by that which we don't know. You can't apply or live out the things that you don't know about. So, you know, when we, when we look at this idea of biblical literacy, understanding what the Bible says, it probably doesn't come as a surprise to you that, that many who claim to be Christians in America suffer from startling levels of biblical illiteracy it leads to a complete ignorance of what the Bible actually says. I mean, people can't tell the difference between what the Koran says and what the Bible says, or, or what a secular humanist said and what the Bible says. And, and it leads to us having a complete ignorance of what the Bible says, which then leads to those around us being even worse off. They have a completely inaccurate picture of Christianity because as Christians, oftentimes, we can't even articulate what our faith says. Our ignorance of the word leads to a place where we're ineffective. We become spiritually impotent when we lack knowledge of the word, and our lives aren't marked by the good works that are that light that draw people to the gospel. Now, the flip side of that is that when we understand the word, we are motivated to obey it. We understand our purpose as believers. We hear the marching orders from our Savior over all the noise and confusion of the world. And the result, as Todd Wilson puts it, is a life that is increasingly zealous for good works. As I said earlier, the key point of the opening section of Titus is this. Preaching is the primary way that God creates a people who are zealous for good works. Now, it's funny, when we, when we do these, uh, these prayer videos every week, uh, oftentimes I don't communicate uh, more than just a simple topic to the person recording the video. Uh, last week, Madeline just happened to pick the passage that I was preaching out of, even though she didn't know what I was, what I was preaching out of. And uh, this week, Jeannie uh, referenced a little-known preacher that I was planning to talk about. You may have heard of him. Uh, his name is Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And uh, he is known for being one of the greatest preachers who ever graced a pulpit. Some call him the prince of preachers. Uh, I worked under a pastor who was like a hardcore Spurgeon fanboy. A uh, guy had his picture in his office, all kinds of stuff like, oh, that's, that's the pastor I want to be like. A powerful preacher of the word is um, an inspiration to a lot of pastors. And uh, his preaching attracted thousands of people to come and listen to the word of God. I and mean, every time Spurgeon preached just about, someone responded to the gospel. Many chose to follow Christ upon hearing the word as preached by Spurgeon. Before his world-class ministry in London, Spurgeon had very humble beginnings in a little village outside Cambridge called Water Beach. Now, I actually looked at Water Beach on a map and there wasn't much water and there certainly was no beach, so I don't know how the name came about. But the boy preacher, Spurgeon, at the time, uh, drew a crowd to an old barn filled with locals just by preaching the word. I mean, at that time, he was just some kid in a barn preaching. He was not the great C.H. Spurgeon, prince of preachers. Now, here's what Spurgeon said about his time in Water Beach. Did you ever walk through a village notorious for its drunkenness and profanity? Did you ever see poor, wretched beings that once were men standing, or rather leaning, against the posts of the alehouse or staggering along the street? Have you ever looked in the houses of the people and beheld them as dens of iniquity at which your soul stood aghast? Have you ever seen the poverty and degradation and misery of the inhabitants and sighed over it? Yes, you say we have. But was it ever your privilege to walk through that village again? And after years, when the gospel had been preached there, it has been mine. Spurgeon goes on to say this. There went into the village a lad who had no great scholarship, but who was earnest in seeking the souls of men. He began to preach there, and it pleased God to turn the whole place upside down. Now, I don't know about you, but have you ever sighed and and wept over the darkness in the world around us? Have you ever seen things in the news and just said, oh, that's awful. Do you want to see the town of Barnstable in the Mid-Cape turned upside down? I do. It begins with the word of God. It begins with our willingness to boldly proclaim the word from this pulpit, And uh, Paul Chesbro caught me this morning and said that the reason we put the pulpit in the middle is nothing to do with the preacher and our view of them, but because oftentimes in older sanctuaries, the pulpit was off to the side and the sacraments were in the middle. And so the emphasis was on the sacraments leading us to Christ. Well, You know, that's not what the Scripture teaches us. The Scripture teaches us that it's about faith in Christ and through the teaching of His Word, and that's why this is central to what we do. It begins with our willingness to boldly proclaim the Word from the pulpit, and it continues with our willingness to listen to and to respond to the preached Word, a desire to share that Word with the world around us. Now, when was the last time that you looked at the steeple in this building? It's probably been a while, hasn't it? But if you actually look at the steeple that's just above where we are here on this building, you'll notice that there's a weather vane at the top, and there's actually a quill on the top that blows in the wind. You can hear it squeak if the wind is, is just barely enough to get it moving. And uh, you know, that, I, I thought that was kind of odd at first that it was a quill, uh, until uh, Joel Feenstra had pointed out to me that the reason it's a quill is because it represents the word of God, the written word and how would they have written it with a quill? And so, you know, our church is founded on preaching the word. That is, that is what is central to us, and that is what we will continue to do. We want to continue to make the word the center of everything that we do, so much so that it's plastered on the top of our building. Now, as Spurgeon put it it doesn't take great scholarship to do this. If you participate in the preaching of the word, even as a, a listener of that preaching, you are prepared to take that word and share it with someone else. Now remember Ben's statement from earlier, you as someone who hears the preaching of the word and applies it to their life, you are invaluable to those who don't know. Do you think you can find someone who doesn't know the word and share it with them? I'll bet that as I said that, someone popped into your mind. Do you think you can take the word and share it with that person? take the word outside the walls of this building, and let's see the whole place turned upside down for the sake of the kingdom. Amen? Let's see that. Father, that is our prayer this morning. We want to see the place turned upside down, not for our glory, not because we're capable of it. Uh, Lord, it's all about you. It's all about your power and your word flowing through us to the dark world around us. Father, I pray that we would share the light of your word, uh, not just from up here in the pulpit with those who speak from here, but Lord, that we would take that word that is spoken, that is written in your word, and share it with others that, that we could see this place turned upside down. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.